Thank you for that. Um, so now I can say whatever I want and get away with it. So this is cool. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, just real quick, I do just want to say a couple of thank yous, uh, but then we're going to jump into the Jesus series. First, I want to say thank you to my best friend and wife, Katie. Um, this is not just about me. This is about you and me because we're in this together. And I just want to say thank you for not allowing anybody to say this is who you're supposed to be as a pastor's wife because you're never going to live up to that label. And you shouldn't have to. You're good in God's eyes, which means you're good in mine. Amen. Um, <laughs> mom and dad, thank you all for dad for always being my pastor and also being my, uh, my dad and my mom. Um, if you didn't catch it, my dad used a great word, which I also want to reiterate. He has a plethora of experience and wisdom uh, that he loves to share with me, and that's why I always go to both of them. Um, just thank you for your love and thank you for your uh, guidance. Brian and Todd, who's watching online, thank you guys for being great brothers, um, putting up with me as the, the perfect younger brother. Um, <laughs> I know uh, the expectations were high for me because you all fell short. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. You guys are awesome. I love you all. Uh, Anita, thank you, and Sam, who's not here as well, but thank you for being a great uh, another set of parents to me. Uh, a couple of pastors I just want to throw out there. Uh, Brian Kentrell uh, gave me the opportunity to be an intern at New Baptist Church, so I want to say thank you to Brian. Ed Rogers and Seth Fallon gave me the opportunity first to step into youth ministry in 2013. I also want to say a quick thank you to Tom Stevens, who showed me what it means to love people. And then my close dear friend, Tony Foreman, thank you for the years of friendship and also the years of serving together. And so to you all at CBC, um, if you ever want to take issue with me being here, you need to thank Ron Williams and Josh Weddle because it all started on the porch of uh, the dining hall at Camp Cowan and never would have thought it would end up being here, but also being able to celebrate and do amazing ministry with you all here in Clarksburg. When I rolled up last year on Labor Day weekend, I saw a big sign on this wall out here that said, we love Clarksburg, and that's where I knew I was home, because this place is a place who really wants to love the people of this community. We truly want to be the heartbeat. So thank you to you all as a church, our council, staff. You guys are absolutely amazing. Uh, my goal in having Josh pray was to watch him cry, and I won. So <laughs> we're good. But today is the season finale of Jesus the Series. Uh, the season eight, we'll return to this series again in 2024. How long are we going to do this, Phil? Do you know? I'm here for 10 seasons in a movie. Does that sound pretty good? That would be awesome. Uh, but uh, we are excited to be back in this series. And just to jump into it, everybody loves a good superhero story, right? Everybody loves superheroes. We love to watch movies. Maybe you're into comic books. We just love seeing people go above human limitations and ability and do amazing things. Right, we love to imagine the hero who's faster than a what? Speeding bullet, more powerful than a? Or able to tall buildings than a? Or maybe to be reminded of with great power comes? Or how many of you all, be honest, parents, when your kid just frustrates you, you just want to yell Hulk smash and go crazy and break something. Not your child, but something, right? <laughs> we love superheroes. So count of three. I want you to tell me your favorite superhero. Ready? One, two, three. I didn't hear enough Batman, but that's beside the point. Um, so Sadie right now is really into Spider-Man, which is amazing because she's watching on Disney Plus, the amazing Spider-Man and his friends. It's a little cartoon. And I love it because it's a nice change of pace from Anna and Elsa and Mickey Mouse, right? And so now I get to chase her around the house. She pretends she's Spider-Gwen or Ghost Spider, and I'm Green Goblin, which is so much fun for me. Right? I love superheroes. But I want to tell you more importantly about a time where I became a superhero. And I'm not talking about when Josh wore a Spider-Man costume in Trunk or Treat. I'm talking about like, this is real life. So it all starts like this. 
our Saturday tradition when, our, uh, especially with Sadie when she was younger, was she always woke up early. Parents, isn't that the worst? Like, it's Saturday. You want to sleep in until like noon, and your child wakes up at 6.30. So she, wakes, she would wake up on Saturday mornings. We'd wake her and bring her into our room. We just want to go back to sleep, so we just turn Mickey Mouse on or some variation of it, and we go back to sleep. Or we cuddle with her and try to acknowledge that she's awake and we're still not awake. But anyways, this particular morning, uh, she, it was normal for her to, while the, she's watching, she'd be like getting a little antsy, wanting to play. So she starts jumping up and down the bed. And as she's jumping up and down the bed, she starts to walk towards the edge of the bed. And she trips over my feet. And as you see it happening in slow motion, the, the, the nice little free fall that's beginning to take place onto the hardwood floor. What I can only describe as uh, like a movie, like Flash, I rip the comforter off and I dive in one fluid motion, grabbing a hold of her, and as I do a spin, like an NFL running back, I throw her backwards onto the bed. I can see the fear in her eyes as she's in this adrenaline high free fall, but also the fear of being in a free fall. So I catch her and I throw her, but gravity and momentum is not in my favor. I kept going, and the weirdest thing happened. All of a sudden, the, the, the light that was coming through the room was no longer there. It's now pitch black, and the fall caused me to bounce off the hardwood floor. The closet door is rattling because of the vibration of the impact, and I am completely in darkness and confused. I'm like, what in the? I'm in pain, first off. I'm like, what in the world's happening right now? Where'd the morning light go? Like, why is it dark in here? And I, I get myself to sit up, and I look across the room, and on the alarm clock, I see 12.31 a.m. And I realized it was only just a dream. <laughs> As I am laying on the bedroom floor, door still shaking. So I ashamedly step up, proud of my Sports Center top 10 moments that just happened in my dream. <clears throat> I walk back over, lay in bed, and as I lay down, the entire bed was shaking. I thought, why is it shaking? It's because that lady over there was laughing hysterically. <laughs> the only words she could get out were, did you get the bad guys chasing you? <laughs> I, to say the least, I was embarrassed. Here I was in my head doing what only the superheroes can do and performing the heroic feat, but now I'm left dwelling in my own human limitations. I, I told her next day, I said, I saved our daughter. You should be excited and proud that I would be willing to do that. <laughs> it's easy for us to lose sight of our human limitations, and we take on more than we can ever handle, and if we're not careful, we begin to see ourselves not as humans, but as superhuman. And one of the key factors in all of this is that we live in a society that is overly obsessed with busyness. And we glorify busyness. We all have to run and run and run a thousand miles in different directions. We have to do more and more just to keep our heads above water. Think about it this way. Imagine a young man named John. John is an ambitious and hardworking man. He had a demanding job, was involved in various community projects, and had a growing family to take care of. John was determined to succeed, and he thought that the key to success was to fill every moment of his day with tasks and responsibilities. As the day turned into weeks and weeks into months, John's schedule became a whirlwind of activity. He was constantly on the move, rushing from one meeting to the next, always striving to meet deadlines and exceed expectations. His phone was constantly buzzing and ringing with notifications, and his calendar was filled to the brim. 
One day, John's wife, Sarah, noticed that he seemed exhausted and he seemed distant. She could see the toll that his busy lifestyle was taking on him. Concerned for his well-being, she gently suggested that he take a step back and create some margin in his life for rest and relaxation. But John couldn't bring himself to do it. He believed that every moment spent resting was a moment wasted. He feared that if he slowed down, he would fall behind and miss out on opportunities. So he continued to push himself harder and harder, neglecting the signs of burnout that were beginning to show. As the months went by, John's health began to deteriorate. He was constantly fatigued, irritable, struggling to concentrate. His relationships were suffering. He became distant from his family, his children, his kids, his friends. The very things that once brought him joy were now overshadowed by the relentless pursuit of success. Does John's story sound familiar to you? Because this might actually be the very story you are living in right now. You're running a thousand miles an hour every different direction between work, school, family, community meetings, band practices, soccer practices, swim classes, and so on and so on and so on. And whenever I, when someone were to say, hey, how are you today? Your first response is, man, I am busy. Or I, I, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I don't have time for you. It's like a go-to response for some of us. We don't say we're good. We don't say we're great. We say we're busy. But who are we busy? Or what are we busy? And who are we saying this to? We say it to one another, yes. But also, sadly, a lot of times we'll say it to our kids. We'll say it to our spouse. But sadly, more important, we're also saying it to the very person who created us to be in a relationship with him, meaning our Lord. Two things I want to say quickly right here today. First, we are not superheroes. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. You guys are great parents. You're great teachers. You're great lawyers. You're great people. But you are not a superhero. You can never handle more than what human ability can. You are not a superhero. And second, the pace that we are on is not sustainable. The pace that we're always on in this world is so fast so chaotic, it is not sustainable. So what do we do then? When everyone else is getting busier and everyone else is getting faster, let's stop looking at the world and start looking more at what Jesus has done and start looking more like him. Because Jesus took time to slow down to catch up with his father. So our primary point today is that we must intentionally cultivate margin in our life to commune with our Father. We're going to be Matthew chapter 14 today. And as we continue this journey through the life and ministry of Jesus, we find that our Savior Jesus at a very crucial point that I believe truly expresses the human nature of Jesus. This is a place in this moment where grief, sorrow, tiredness, exhaustion, and the demands of public ministry begin to meet. See, Jesus had been in public ministry for several years now, and he's going around from town to town teaching his disciples. He was gaining new followers, performing many miracles. But he's also facing religious opposition, governmental opposition. He was even facing opposition from his own family. His ministry was a time of excitement and joy, but it was also a time of spiritual warfare. And just recently in this passage, he had just been in the hometown of Nazareth, the place that he grew up, and the very people he grew up with, and he was teaching the people in Nazareth in the synagogues, and how do they respond? They rejected him. He was no longer welcome in his own hometown. And also in the middle of all this crisis, being rejected in his hometown, now going on to another city, his cousin and dear friend John the Baptist had been arrested by Herod, 
and ultimately he was beheaded by the king. His head was brought to the mother of Herod on a platter. Yeah, messed up. Following his death, disciples of John came and got John's body and buried him and then came and brought the news to Jesus. Imagine all the things that he's experiencing this all at once. And perhaps you've experienced moments like this where it, you know, the old adage, when it rains it, how many of you have been there? Just one thing after another, you can't seem to catch a break. It seemed like one thing was happening over and over again. He was exhausted, he was weary, he was burdened, he was sad. What do you all do in these moments? What do any of us do in these moments? There's a story of uh, one individual who was going through a time of depression, exhaustion, and brokenness. He did what many of us do at times. He sought to escape the pain and reality of life by immersing himself in the lives of everyone's favorite employees of Dunder Mifflin and Scranton. He binge-watched the entire nine series, nine seasons of The Office in 10 days. It's over 225 episodes, just give, give or take. No one took notice of this. He was on a break from college. He was, he was not currently working, so nobody was aware of this deep darkness that this individual was living in, except for one group, Netflix. Netflix had seen the behavioral shift take place as his viewing habits increased. Kind of creepy if you think about it, but it's also kind of cool. And so they, they saw all of a sudden this guy is binging Netflix and not sleeping for 10 days. So what they do? They reach out to him and said, hey, we just want to check in to make sure you are okay. He responds back. As many people are like, that's kind of creepy, Netflix. Back off. But he came out and said, I'm so glad that someone out there cares for me. What do you do? How do you respond when the chaos of life is just simply too much and it's too overwhelming? In Jesus, we see a beautiful example of what we are designed to do. So in all this, here's what Jesus does in chapter 14, verse 13. So when Jesus heard what had happened, meaning John's death, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. He just needed time alone. He wanted to be away from the craziness. He wanted to be away from the crowds. He wanted to be away from the demands. He needed just solitary place. Well, what was Jesus doing in this moment? Did he just need, like every parent needs, like 40 seconds of just silence just for a second? What was it? Or was there something else on his heart? Because this is not the first time we see this rhythm and pattern of Jesus. We also see in Luke chapter 4, following his baptism by his friend and cousin who had just been beheaded, he spent 40 days praying and fasting in the wilderness, which was happening before he went into his public ministry. Or after feeding the multitudes in Mark 6, the disciples encouraged Jesus, hey, you need to remove yourself and go rest. In Luke chapter 22 and also chapter 17 of Gospel of John, just hours before his rest, what do we see Jesus doing? removing himself and spending time in deep and agonizing prayer over what was to come. Luke, verse, Luke chapter 5, verse 16 summarizes it this way, I think, perfectly. But Jesus often withdrew, often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus, fully God, fully human, he knew the pains of his life, he experienced loss, he experienced sorrow, grief, pain, and just chaos, yet he constantly prioritized the relationship with God the Father. This wasn't seen as merely an escape from reality or an escape from the human problem. He was cultivating in himself this beautiful relationship that he had with God. Imagine all that he went through for a second. Imagine just Jesus for a moment, being rejected by your friends and family. His own brothers called him crazy and a lunatic. 
He heard the very people and one day yell, Hosanna, and the next day yell what? Crucify him. The very people he came to save. The very people who said that they followed him, that they followed the, the, they followed the law of God, were the very ones oppressing people. He was denied and betrayed by his disciples that he, that he called to share life with. And over and over again, we see the Savior in pain that he experienced in life and in death. But I want to highlight one aspect of this rhythm of rest and communion with the Father. Listen, Jesus did not come to the Father when life was hard. It wasn't just then. He did not, he did not come only when life was hard. He didn't only come when he was burdened. It was part of the everyday rhythm to constantly be in communion with his Father. This relationship was so crucial to his life and his ministry, and because of that, it was the highest priority. And listen, you will always make time for what you prioritize. Always. Check your screen time later today. You'll understand what I mean by that. Jesus, throughout his ministry, gives us patterns for these relational rhythms that will help us cultivate this margin that we're talking about. The first thing I want you to hear that I believe Jesus models for us is one word, and it's simple. Stop. Just stop. Jesus, growing up in a Jewish home, he knew and he practiced a weekly Sabbath. Now, for many people today, the discipline of Sabbath and Sabbath rest are seen in the light of restrictive legalism, like you can't mow the yard on Sunday, or the other extreme, which is, that's irrelevant. We don't practice Sabbath anymore. We just go, 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 go all the time. But we must see that the rest is key to our story. Rest is part of who we are as people. Humanity was created on the sixth day, right? And when God created us on the sixth day, he looked upon all that he had made. He said, what? It is very good. On the seventh day, what did God do? He rested. Isn't it amazing? Humanity is created on the sixth day, which means that on their very first full day as people, what did they do? They chilled. Well, he said God didn't need rest. God is God. He wasn't tired. He wasn't burdened. He just simply wanted to establish a rhythm and show that our foundation is rest before the work, not a reward for hard work. See, we got that mixed up in our world today. We say, well, I will work after this deadline. I will, so I will rest after this deadline. I will, at pastors, we do this all day. We'll rest after Easter. It doesn't happen. Rest is foundational to who we are. As we already noted, Jesus modeled the discipline of stopping, stopping what he was working on, stopping who he was around. He needed moments of solitude and moments of stillness. He just needed to break away from the have-tos. I have to do this. I have to do this. Rhythms of Sabbath then include daily, so time with God in solitude, weekly, we gather here weekly to worship and to reflect, monthly, y'all just need a personal retreat someday, or also vacations, right? The Jewish custom was to have a sabbatical every six years to get the land rest. Ruth Haley Barton said this, through Sabbath, God is working godliness with contentment into our lives, leading us to be satisfied and to cease consuming. I love what she says. He's, he's working godliness with contentment into our lives. Let me ask you the question, are you able to stop? Are you able to shut off your mind? Are you able to turn off your devices? Are you able to remove yourself from what you do and who you are? I love what Rich Velotis says. He says this, resting is what free people do. If we cannot rest, we are enslaved to something. If we cannot stop our work, we are possibly enslaved to our work. We need to stop. You need to stop. So the first one is stop. The second one of four is rest. 
As I mentioned earlier, some have already gone the pharisaical route with their legalistic approach to Sabbath and rest, not allowing any kind of effort on the day of rest. Just go be a vegetable on your couch and do absolutely nothing all day. How many of you actually enjoy that? Two. Okay, maybe. But rest is more than just doing nothing. It's a time of self-care as we examine ourselves, we examine our hearts, we examine our minds, we examine our bodies to see, hey, is there something that's off? Is there something that I'm ignoring? Is there something that I'm neglecting in my pursuit of work and busyness? Are we neglecting our health? Are we neglecting our basic needs? So to be vulnerable with you, that story I told you about, about me diving like Superman off the bed to save my child, I, can, I cannot tell you what was going on, but I can tell you I was stressed because stress impacts my sleep patterns. Katie can tell you story after story about the weird things I've done in the middle of the night like that because I'm overly stressed, I'm overly exhausted, I'm overly worked. Taking a stop and taking rest is to allow ourselves to examine ourselves. Are you truly resting? Are you resting from the day-to-day busyness of your life, the busyness from other people's life that you're trying to help and trying to save? We need to recognize our limitations. We cannot do everything. Marjorie Thompson said this, Sabbath means letting go of our treasured illusions of our indispensabilities. You're human. You can't do everything. The world does not begin and end with you. So stop. Rest. The third, delight. We need to find the things in life that brings us joy and brings us a sense of delight. And while, yes, we can delight and take joy in what we do, What we do should never be all who we are. Let me say that again. We should never become all, what we do, excuse me, what we do should never become all of who we are. You, listen, are more than your job. You are more than just a parent. You are more than all of that. Before you are anything, you are a child of God. That is always the highest priority. That is always how it will always be. Then that means that since it's the highest priority, you should give your most effort and attention to that. I love how Eugene Peterson says this about this delightful approach. He says, Sabbath is praying and playing. I love it. Sabbath is praying and playing. What do you delight in doing? What brings you life? Spending time with friends? Spending time in a tree stand? Going for walks as a family? Watching a movie? Reading a good book, long walks on the beach, I don't know. Watching college football with friends. Hey, we beat Tech yesterday. (laughs) By we, I mean Marshall, and by Tech, I mean Virginia Tech. But I didn't know there were so many Marshall fans in here. This is great. (laughs) Go Herd. Yeah, y'all did all right, too. I told you I can say whatever I want now. Whatever it is that you love to do, and it brings you the sense of like, do it with an idea of worship and thank God for what he's given you and use it as a time of rest, renewal, restoration. God has given us these opportunities to delight in him. You are allowed to have fun. You're allowed to smile from time to time. Stop, rest, delight. And the last one is contemplate. I believe this is one of the most foundational ones. We must regularly and daily be people of contemplation. A Franciscan monk named Brother Lawrence said this, Let us occupy ourselves entirely in knowing God. The more we know him, the more we will desire to know him. As love increases with knowledge, the more we know God. The more we will truly love him. We will learn to love him equally in times of distress or in times of great joy. So how does this practically work? If you've been going through the Engage series, uh, you know some of these. But first, we must spend time in God's word. 
We must delight in God's word. Let, let his statutes and his laws, as the psalmist wrote in Psalm 1, be the delight of our souls. The book that we carry, the book that we call the Bible, is God's breath on a page to us. That he's speaking to us. And you can only know what God desires if you know what God says. He has spoken to us and God continues to speak through us. So that, that initial speaking always demands a response. That's what we call prayer. And prayer is simply the discipline of responding to God with the very breath that he has placed in our lungs. And prayer is fellowship with a personal God who initiates this conversation with his word. And then every Sunday we get together to worship. But worship is not confined to the hour or however long Scott talks today, time that we're here together. Worship is so much more beautiful than this. Worship is a lifestyle, not just one thing we do a week. It's a beautiful response as we get lost in the wonder and the amazement and the majesty of Almighty God who created all things and spoke the world to existence but also came down in the person of Jesus. That is amazing. Go back to the childlike wonder that we lived with when we first heard that good news. It's still good news today. We sing that very song repeatedly here. It is still good news today. So these rhythms of stopping, resting, delighting, and contemplation are for our good. But more importantly, they are for our relationship with Jesus. He modeled these very principles in his day in life. He showed us that in the chaos of life, we need to slow down to catch up with God. We need to slow down to catch up with God. We must intentionally cultivate this margin in our life to commune with our Father. Jesus laid, listen to this, Jesus laid aside all the treasures and splendor of heaven to come and commune with us. He, he came from heaven to earth to be with us. Look at what he did. He came and purchased what already belonged to him, and he's redeeming us daily and making us new every single day. That kind of love, that kind of willingness and humility demands a response. So this moment, we're going to just close our eyes, bow our heads, and invite the band to come down up. This is your chance to respond to God, to think through how we stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. The famous theologian St. Augustine said this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. We, you and me, we were created for a special relationship and communion with our Lord. And in him we can experience true rest and true peace and true satisfaction and true meaning and purpose. And I believe that many of us today, if, as you are here and as you're contemplating this and all the things you've heard, you are restless. You're restless. restless restlessness is the desire to be filled and be fulfilled. We all have it. But how are you trying to find that rest? Is it anywhere other than your creator? If so, I promise you, and as we've all experienced, we're always going to be left wanting and unsatisfied. So I want to speak to two different groups of people in here this morning. I want to speak to those here today who are restless physically, mentally, and emotionally. As you examine and contemplate your schedule and your rhythms, notice the fact that you have no margin in, in your schedule. No margin for yourself. No margin for this time and space with God. 
So to you, I'm going to say again, you need to slow down. You need to slow down. You're not a superhero. And the pace that you're on is not sustainable. And let me tell you from experience, and I know Josh and Phil will say the same thing, the very pace that you are on is a pace that we'll call burnout. And you're going to find yourself exhausted, emotionally distant, and just not wanting to do anything. So let's turn that course around before we get there. Because that burnout not only affects you, it affects your relationship with your family, your coworkers, and more importantly, your relationship with God. So follow the example of Jesus then. If you're restless this morning, to stop, to rest, to delight and contemplate. Be present with God who has done everything to be present with you. And for those of you here today, you say, I am just restless spiritually. You heard me say that quote from Augustine. You have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And you're like, that is me. I am absolutely restless spiritually. I am walking in this world trying to figure out where I can find satisfaction, where I can find fulfillment, where I can find just peace and rest. Let me tell you about Jesus, who said these words in Matthew chapter 11, this is from the message translation. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So you're here this morning, like, I don't feel satisfied. I feel restless. Jesus is offering you something amazing and something so great, and that's rest with him. Eternal rest, yes, that we'll experience freely and completely one day when we see our Savior face to face, but also rest in the here and now. Yes, things might not change completely, but there is something different because Jesus is now with us through the empowering of his Holy Spirit to empower us and strengthen us and to encourage and guide us in this life. And so the opportunity is for you just to say, God, thank you for Jesus. God, thank you for making me in your image. And yes, I know that my life is broken. I have life filled with sin, but God, you came to remove the stain and the guilt of shame and death from sin. God, I want to follow you. I want that rest. I want to be with you. I want you to be with me. I want to be your people as you want to be my God. So in this moment, I just pray that you cry out to God, and that's you today. You can let myself or Phil or Josh know that that's today. We want to celebrate that with you, and we want to let you have the opportunity to say, here's what's next, that you have followed Jesus and you want to take on next steps. For all of us today, let us find our rest in Jesus. We don't have to run a 1,000 miles an hour. We just need to slow down and catch up with Jesus. So would you stand as we sing this final song, a time of response and a time of worship?